Amen, amen. Let's thank the Lord for this chance to worship him and invite him here, even though we know that he's here. Uh, my name is Marcus, executive pastor here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, would love to meet you after the service in the lobby. If you're here live, we welcome you. Those online as well, we welcome you. As you know, we are getting started on a, on a brand new series this week, Walking Through Water. We're looking forward to it. Um, today, we're going to particularly be discussing, right, what the flood teaches us about God, right? And so we're going to take a little look at creation, where it all started, and the first major story where it's, it's water-centric, and we're going to take a look at chapter 6 through 9. So we're going to be in a lot of, we're going to read a lot of verses today because we're covering basically three chapters. And we're going to take a look at those three chapters, 6 through 9, and see what we can learn about God's nature through those chapters. And that's the purpose of today's message. Uh, if you see behind me, you see this amazing photo of a galaxy. Uh, we're going to get into creation here in a little bit, but let me just point out a couple things about galaxies. I want us to try to comprehend this, uh, which is impossible. But our Milky Way galaxy, let's try to understand this. Think of the, the sun, the size of the sun as a star. Let's start off with that. Our Milky Way galaxy has over 200 billion stars. This is our Milky Way galaxy as we get into creation here in a bit. So, so think of the sun, the size of it. Think of 200 billion stars within our Milky Way galaxy. Well, that, I, I don't think we can comprehend that. But if you could, the center of the Milky Way galaxy is 26,000 light years away. 26,000 light years away from the center of the Milky Way galaxy to the end of it. That means, of course, if you're traveling at the speed of light, which is impossible, for 26,000 years you will get to the center of that one galaxy. Now, if this doesn't blow your mind enough, there are over 200 billion galaxies. A staggering number for sure. So our galaxy with over 200 billion stars, which is one galaxy, is one of 200 billion. So as we take a quick look at the story of creation and we juxtapose it to what people would like for you to believe. It's really hard to grasp that as a thinker, right? If one was to take a look at the singularity theory, the Big Bang theory, that frankly, if you're following science trends, I don't know who does, most scientists don't really adhere to the Big Bang anymore, but they don't have a better answer because the truth is God created. Can I hear amen? And, and they, they, they run away from that and they create these other scenarios, but they would have you believe that all of this that I told you about, the mass, the energy, the anti-matter, the matter, all existed at one point. I want us to try to grasp this. All existed at one point at something so microscopic, impossible to see because it was so small and basically just somehow heated up 
and exploded all out of something you can't see to expand into what exists right now, which, of course, we know the second law of thermodynamics is entropy. Entropy says this. Things go from a state of order to disorder. Basically, when you see me limping on, this, on the stage, that's entropy. 50 years old, seven knee surgeries. At one point, I was young and strong, right? And now I'm limping around because I've been playing beach volleyball. Things fall apart. So they would tell you, even though the second law of thermodynamics says things go from a state of order to disorder, bite into an apple, order, take a look at it a minute later, two minutes later, five minutes later, and my wife found a banana in our minivan, three weeks old. Do that, you'll see what entropy is. Put a tuna sandwich in your desk. Check on it in five weeks. That's entropy. But they would want you to believe that things go from a state of complete disorder and chaos from some microscopic singularity to a world, universe, galaxies of perfect order. My friends, I can't, as a thinker, I can't receive that. Forget my, my trust in Jesus and the, the, the veracity of the Bible, but that makes no sense. Right? So here we see a picture of... The, the, the big um, picture of a galaxy. Now, we're going to take a look at water. Part of the creation story is water. I want you just to listen to these verses as I, as I, as I read some of the creation story here that's found to us in, in the book of Genesis, of course. So... Listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That song we sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. That same God, that same person, the Holy Spirit, who was there at the beginning is the one who's present with us right now. He's on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then God saw the light that was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So in the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. I want us to listen to this now because we've probably heard and read these verses a hundred times. But we're going to break down some verses that we've heard for a while and look a little bit deeper into them. Then God said, let there be a firmament. Hmm, what's firmament? Right. In the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. We see something happening right here in God's nature right away. We see this division happening. We noticing that? That he divided the, 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 the light from the darkness, the night from the day, the waters themselves. He's dividing them. So we're learning something about God's nature here that we're going to take a look at. So he divided the waters. What does that mean? We'll take a look at that. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament 
from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. I read that as a kid and as an adult, I don't know how many times, and just kind of like, well, just went past it without really trying to grasp what that meant, that he created the waters and divided the waters with the firmament, and, 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 and some waters were above the firmament, which was heaven, and some waters were below, we'll, we'll get into that. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So, we love our water. We love our oceans. We love our lakes. Uh, I just got back off of um, a couple weeks of vacation. Uh, fantastic. Uh, the first week I went to Catalina for the first time. If you haven't been in Catalina, go. But even the beginning of a Catalina when you get on that ferry, and you get on the water, and it happened to be a blue day, a blue ocean, beautiful, clear. And we're there. You see the dolphins jumping. I was hoping to see whales. I didn't see any. Uh, but, and we get to Catalina, and you're just surrounded on that island. One of the reasons it's so beautiful, one of the reasons we love islands is because of the water. Right? Something beautiful happens when you're surrounded by creation. Can I hear amen? Right? Something beautiful, something inside of you just comes alive when you see God's creation. Uh, we also went to uh, Vermont back east and spent some time on Lake Champlain. We landed in on Boston. Some of my family had, uh, had a wedding, which was fantastic. We got into Boston. Anybody here been to the New England area? Anybody? Okay, just, just beautiful. But before we got there, we went to Boston. Then we go to, to Vermont. I remember the first time I we went to Vermont, God bless her family, we went there. And the first time I met them, and they looked at me, and we're driving to Burlington, Vermont. And it's kind of awkward, right? They haven't met me. I look a little different. Uh, I move a little different. I sound a little different. And they looked at me, and they said, hey, Marcus, we're going to Burlington. What do you want to eat? Like, anywhere, right? I'm in Vermont. Let's go somewhere. And they said, you want to go eat some Mexican food? I'm like, no, I'm in Vermont. I live in San Diego. Like, that's where I eat Mexican food, right? Like, no, I want to eat some Vermont food. And, I, and that, that first time we went to Boston as well, my wife and I got off the plane, landed in Boston, drove to Vermont. It reminded me, uh, this is a true story, by the way. We're walking around Boston, and once again, different culture than California. And we're walking around, and my wife takes me to a, a little city where she grew up, and there's a little pizzeria, uh, and just outside of it, there's a Mexican shop. Right? It's great. And, and it was a sign that said, so-and-so Mexicans food. And it said, made by real-life Mexicans. <laughs> well, thank God it wasn't those fake ones. Um, so anyways, true story, I should have put up the photo. And there was all my kids there underneath that sign just smiling. And um, True story. We went to Lake Champlain as well. Lake Champlain is at the north part of Vermont that connects Vermont to New York to British Columbia and Canada. It's just, it's just, it's just beautiful. Um, rhetorical question here. Where is the biggest lake, river? Is it, I don't need an answer, is it in the U.S., the Mississippi? Perhaps is it in China? with the Yancey, uh, maybe it's Brazil uh, with the Amazon, maybe it's in Africa with the Nile. Well, the answer is none of those. The biggest river is found, and the biggest rivers indeed, they say 10 times the size, are found in the sky. 
probably you guys started hearing a term this year called atmospheric rivers. Remember the rains a couple months ago? And we're wondering where all these rains were coming from. It's amazing how science eventually catches up with the Bible. So these atmospheric rivers are, are in the sky. So pay attention to this terminology. The reason I mentioned this, if we go back to the story of Genesis, and the Bible talks about separating the waters. Follow me here. And it's separating the waters by establishing the firmament. You guys following me? And it said the waters were above the firmament, which was called heaven. Now there's three heavens. This is easy to understand if, you're in, if you speak Spanish because cielo, right? Cielo means heaven. Cielo also means the sky. So there's three heavens basically when the Bible refers to. First heaven is when you look up and you see the birds flying in the heavens. You guys with me? You look up towards the heaven. You look up towards the heavens. The second heaven is the, the Bible refers to is now the, the, the uh, space, what we consider outer space. Right, when you get to the moon and the stars, that's the heavens as well. The third heaven, right, is the heaven that Paul said he went up to. And, and it's the heaven that we think of where God's dwelling place is. So now the Bible says that this firmament, heaven, th that the water was separated and placed above it. Well, we know what the water below the firmament is. But indeed, from the beginning, God had established these atmospheric rivers that exist in the sky and at that point relative to this story when we think about the lifespan of humans at that point early on before Noah when we think of the Noah's flood that we're going to get into right away that there was no rain during that time but there was precipitation obviously but the world was covered with this with this with this blanket basically with these rivers all in the sky above the firmament Let's take a look at this real quick. This picture. Everybody has seen this or owned this or purchased it. Can I hear you, man? You know what? As believers and as people, we do a very good job of minimizing biblical truths. I think we even had a Noah's Ark crib set for our kids, I, I think. I know we had Winnie the Pooh. I think we had Noah's, Noah's Ark. And I know that we make it very cute, the story of Noah's Ark, right? Same thing around Christmas time. It's okay with Jesus, right? But, but, but the Jesus, the world, this nation wants to receive is who? Is that little baby Jesus. You guys ever noticed that? Oh, Christmas time is fine. Get your little baby Jesus and look at him there and, his, and he's wrapped up in swaddling clothing. And we're okay with that, Jesus. And, and you know what? We're okay with, with, with this Ark. Picture of the art. Toys, fun. The account of Noah's Ark, which we're going to get into today, is the most catastrophic event in the history of mankind. Let me say this again. It is indeed the most catastrophic event in the history of mankind. When God decided to address man's wickedness, we see this 80% of the world has an account of the flood. 80% of the world has an account of the flood. Every continent 
my friends. Every continent has an account of the flood that deals with, obviously, the flood, that deals with a boat, and it deals with people being on that boat and being saved. Well, how is that the case? Well, it's the case, this is why, because the flood occurred. This is not a little kid's story right, to help explain things that we have to kind of just, oh, well, that's a little story. No, this is the truth that the flood came and 80% of the world has an account of it. And in, in, in Genesis 10, there's so much to cover today. That's why I'm talking so fast. But in Genesis 10, there's something called the table of nations. This is very, very interesting. If you like to do studies and you like to research, this is fantastic, right? So let's fast forward a little bit to Genesis 10. In Genesis 10, right, it talks about these table of nations and talks about the three sons of Noah. On the boat, on the ark, of course, was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three wives. And their three wives, I'm sorry. So eight. And his sons were Shem, they were Ham, and they were Japheth. And this table of nations talks about how, 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 how his three sons and their descendants, what their names were, and followed them on kind of where they settled. So the first son that we hear, Shem, right, Abraham came through Shem. Have you ever heard of the term Shemite, Semite? Have you ever heard of the term anti-Semitic? We've all heard that. We're in, what, 2023, and that term is one of the most important terms in our society. How do we know where it came from? Shem. Oh, that's pretty cool, right? If we could take a look at Ham. Through Ham came Cush, one of his children, and Cush's son was Nimrod, okay? This is Nimrod now. He was the first, first, he had the first kingdom, and he was an evil guy. So Nimrod, when you think of Tower of Babel, Okay, that's where Ham came from. And Ham, if you read in, in Genesis 8 or 9, it talks about when they got off of the boat and Ham discovered his father's nakedness when he got intoxicated. So Ham and his son Canaan were cursed, right? And you, this is very interesting too, right? They were cursed and out of that came the Canaanites. This is, this is amazing things here. And Nimrod through Ham. Um, Japheth. Through that came kind of, kind of Greece, right, uh, and that area there. I want to I I show this to you guys, or actually read this to you guys. It's very interesting. There is a, 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 a son of Japheth. This is in the Bible right there in Genesis 10. The son's name is Askernaz, okay? The son's name was Askernaz, right there in the Bible. This is very interesting. The Bible talks about how these sons went out, and they spread out throughout the world, throughout Asia, throughout Egypt, throughout the Middle East. You know that in the medieval period, do you know what Germany was known as? Askenaz. Why? Why would Germany be known as Askenaz, a son of Japheth? You ever heard of this term, Ashkenazi Jew? It's Jews that have come and lived in Europe, and that's where a lot of Europe came from. So we can't spend all day on this. I wish we could, but I want to encourage you guys to do some study on the table of nations. So it's spread out. So back to this 80%. So what happens is, right, after the Tower of Babel through Nimrod, people spread out, and what did they take with them? 
they took with them this event, this memory of this amazing flood that happened to learn from it. And that's why the whole world basically has an account of the flood. So let's take a look now at Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 says this. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves all of whom they chose. Let me read that again. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves and all whom they chose. So Let's pause there for a second. Who are the sons of God? There's different interpretations, and some would say um, that it's this group uh, of men that were very holy, and they were descendants of, of Adam. But I like to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Does that make sense? Because the Bible has some crazy things in it. And it has some things in it that sometimes we just want to pass right over and ignore. Uh, that's not my nature, Right? So if the Bible's in it, I, I want to understand it. And I don't understand everything, but I try to understand it and make sense of it. And so what it's saying here, that there's, there's these sons of God, which we'll look into in a little bit, saw these women. So let's go to three. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be 120 years. Before that, they were living hundreds and hundreds of years. And Noah's about 10 generations away from Adam, just to give us an idea we are in world history Four, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of men came into the daughters of men and they bore children with them those were the mighty uh, those were uh, were uh, um, those were of old men of renown so those were mighty men who were of old men of renown so let's stop there this group, the sons of God, are you guys following me? Right? We'll figure out who they are. This group, the sons of God, see that women are beautiful, that the daughters of men are beautiful, and they have children with them. And these children of them, and in some versions it says Nephilim in your, in your, in your Bibles, right? Well, Nephilim, that word means fallen ones. It also means giants. So we start to see who these sons of God are, right? And so now this really displeases the Lord. Whoever these sons of God are marrying these women and things become very evil. But it also says that these men, and there was giants in those days, and that they were heroes in some versions, but they were men of renown. So these offspring were very powerful Referring to as giants and were men of renown. Let's go on. Five. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord saw that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast creeping Things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I made them. Eight, 
but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So let's remember that passage here as we continue on. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God, right? So 2 Peter 4 through 5, let's take a look at some, once again, let's let the Bible talk about the Bible. Are you guys following me here? Right? Let's see what the Bible has to say about the Bible. Not the pastor's perspective, not what I think. Let's take a look at God's word. Uh, 2 Peter 4, 5 says this. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. Notice it's talking about fallen angels. Are you guys following me here? Then within that passage of fallen angels, we, he includes who? Noah, right? And so he didn't spare. So fallen angels, right, didn't spare them evil, but spared Noah, didn't spare the ancient world. Hopefully we're tying these things together. This is what I love too. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of how many? Eight people. Remember that. A preacher of righteousness, bringing in flood on the world of the ungodly. So Noah was about 500 years old when God spoke to him, and he was a preacher of righteousness. He was warning these people. Here's something so cool. Let's take a look at this. I, I love this. This is amazing. If anybody here knows Mandarin Chinese, they know what the symbol is. I don't know it. What this symbol is, large boat. Pretty cool. I want you to pay close attention here. Let's go back to the table of nations. Are you with me? Where, where the sons of Noah get spread out throughout the world. And what do they take with them? This, this, the, 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 this events, right? And certainly the largest event to that point was the flood. Okay, this is Chinese for large boat or boat. Why am I pointing this out? So what, Marcus? It has three elements to it. The one on the left, the one up top, and the one at the bottom. We see that clearly? The one on the left simply means vessel. That's pretty cool. That makes sense. Okay. Why would the Chinese, when talking about boat, have the first character be vessel? Eh, because the boat's a vessel. That makes sense to me. That one at the top is the number eight. Hmm, this is pretty interesting. Why in the world would the Chinese character for large boat or boat have the number eight and the thing underneath? Mouths or people? Very interesting. So the Chinese character for a boat or large vessel or large boat is a vessel that had eight people and mouths to feed on it. Does that sound familiar? Perhaps the ark? I mean, this stuff is amazing stuff as you really, really research God's word. So that's what it tells us, Second Peter. Now, let's take a look at that term, sons of God. Here's Job 1.6. Job 1.6 says this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, everybody say sons of God. When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So this is Job, and we know the story of Job, where Satan asked permission to torment 
Job, and God gave him permission. He said, yeah, do what you want, but don't take his life. Let's take a look at this again. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan also among them. So, our question is, are these sons of God, are they men? No. Are you guys with me? I'm not trying to make you guys believe some crazy stuff here. All right? I, this is uncomfortable for me to preach on. You, you guys understand that? What I'm trying to do is understand what the Bible is saying so we can grasp God's word here. So now we've got these sons of God that present themselves to the Lord with Satan. Hmm, let's take a look at Job 34, 4 through 7. It says this. I love this. By the way, this passage is amazing. This is when, when, when Job starts questioning God because he's getting frustrated for all the things that he's going through. Uh, and this is beautiful. And then the Lord says, okay, you want to question me? Put your belt on and stand up like a man because now I'm going to question you. And this is part of that passage when God starts throwing these questions at Job, which is amazing. So this is part of that. He says, where were you? When I laid the foundations of the earth, tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Remember those measurements we talked about earlier with the billions and billions of stars and billions of galaxies? He's asking Job, where were you when I put that together, man? You have questions for me? What about this? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it to where, to what, where its foundations fastened? What is the world? Job, you have a I have a question for you. What is the world fastened on? Look what else he asked them. Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars came together and sang, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Are these humans here before time, singing with joy before creation? So we see the trend happening here. Let's look at 2 Samuel 21, 20 through 22. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born to the giant. When he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemir, David's brother, killed him. There were, uh, there were four, these four were born to the giant Gath and fell by the hand of David, by the hand of his servant. So we know the story of Goliath, and often we want to kind of just park that away in some obscure David and Goliath, but there were giants in the land. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading, we can't be all day, the Israelites say we were like grasshoppers to them. Okay. So here's the point I'm making, is that when the pre-Diluvian uh, life existed, it was filled. The world was filled with these fallen angels, these sons of God, who had procreated with these beautiful women, and their children were giant and huge, and the land was full of them. Is everybody following me? And within that, there was also this, this, this evil that abounded because that was never the design. That is never what God intended. But I want to take a look at this contrast before we get into our first point. Uh, uh, verse 6, 8 says this. This is beautiful. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
So there's this contrast, a separation, even back to in the beginning. I hope you're following me here. A separation is beginning. It's showing the very nature of God. And we have this land that's full of these, 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 these creatures, right? These, these people that were never intended, as well as these humans just doing evil after evil after evil after evil. Ah. But no one found grace in the eyes of God. Here's something very interesting. The name Noah means this, means rest. What a contrast from the evil doings of man, everybody, and the rest. And who do we find rest is in God? First point here teaches us this. The flood teaches us that God responds to the rebellious. We don't like to talk about this a lot, right? But this is the first, first major water store in the Bible. And it's not that little cute, little rubbery Fisher Price on that cute little boat, right, that you tell kids. And it's a cute story. And when I grew up in church, right, there was all these cute songs about Abraham. The Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Build it out of gopher, barky, barky, children of the Lord. So it's so cute. So cute. This event was not cute. Devastation. Devastation. Why? Because God hates evil. He's going to make a separation between what is good and what is righteous, between what is evil. And I know this isn't politically correct. I understand that. Right? I know this is, oh, man, that is such a fun message Pastor preached today. I understand that. But I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to help us be holy. Amen. Right? And so the separation begins. And let's take a look at this first point as God responds to the rebellious. You know, all the wickedness that's going on, you guys, God has not turned a blind eye to it. God is not ignoring the wickedness, not only of our generation, of the generations before, the generations before. He is watching it and he's waiting for the proper time to respond. But like Noah for hundreds of years that preached the gospel or that preached God, that he was a righteous man, Noah was. You know what? God is patiently, patiently waiting for those to hear that message and to repent and thank God. We have heard that message. Hopefully here you're a child of God today that have committed your life to the Lord, right? And we're in that spot. Ah, but plug your name in, hopefully, if you've given your life to Jesus and you're a child of God. But blank found grace in the eyes of God. What a beautiful thing. Let's take a look at Matthew 25, 41 through 46. And this is talking about, these are the words of Christ as he's going to be judging in the last day. He says this, then he will also say to, the one, to those on the left hand, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire and for the devil, uh, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you did gave me no food. For I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or did not minister to you and then he will answer saying to them assuredly i say to you that in so much as you did it did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me and these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life we see a separation here we 
see a separation of God. And before this, it's talking about sheep and goats in the same passage, right? He's going to take everybody. He's going to remove, separate the sheep from the goats, right? And the goats are sent away, and the sheep remain in his presence. Now, let's look at chapter 7 as we get into our second point here. Chapter 7, 13 through 16. So we were in chapter 6. We're going to chapter 7 now. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast of its kind, all the cattle of its kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, and every sort of, and every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah two by two, and all the flesh, which is, uh, uh, which is the uh, breath of life. So those that entered male and female and flesh went in, and God commanded him. I like this part right here. And the Lord shut him in. Let's take a look at the next verse, or just 16. Let's isolate that. So the Lord entered male and female, all flesh, went, into, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. This big storm is coming. Something mankind up to that point and after has never experienced. A storm so bad we can't expect. Look, San Diego, right? When it rains, it's news for three, four days, right? Like, I, you don't have to tell me that it's raining. I can figure that out on my own, right? And so that's just rain, a storm. Guys, imagine a flood so vast that it destroys everything but on this boat and who gave him those plans and who protected him as he shut them in the Lord so not only do we see let's get to our next point here that he responds to the rebellious but here's the good news he rescues the righteous now we know indeed we are not righteous on our own. Let's take a look at this verse in Ephesians 6.14. It says this. Stand therefore girded um, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We see that we know we have no righteousness on our own. But for us to have that righteousness, to find grace, right, is to take on the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. So this is good news, right? God rescues the righteous. We're not righteous because of our deeds or our acts. We're not righteous because of our works. We are simply righteous in our position through God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful illustration of Christ, by the way. Follow me here. God is angry. The world is full of sin. They're unrepentant. And now there needs to be a means of salvation. So God provides this vessel as his wrath comes upon it. But everybody that identifies and is part of the safety of that vessel is saved. Am I talking about Jesus Christ or am I talking about the ark? The answer is yes. What a great parallel. Right there in Genesis, how God is pointing out the plan of salvation to mankind right there, this time through an ark that God provides. And through that, God shuts them in. And he's the one that provides the rescue. 
we see here that God responds to the rebellious, but indeed he rescues the righteous, and what a beautiful thing. And I pray that we would be on that ark. I pray that the vessel that he provided through his son, Jesus Christ, that we would indeed embrace wholeheartedly, regardless of what the world is telling us, regardless of what the peers are telling us, regardless of what being politically correct is telling us, regardless of what the news is telling us, that God, who God is, that we would understand who God is, who his nature is, and what is our means of salvation. It's not CNN. It's not Fox. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not redistribution of wealth, nor is it capitalism, right? None of those things, wherever you lie politically is fine, but none of those things are going to save you. It's only his son, Jesus Christ, and receiving that free gift of salvation and having righteousness through his son. Let's now go to chapter 8. We've been in chapter 6, 7. Let's go to chapter 8 as we're closing here. Verses 15 and through 17 says this. Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Real quick. They were in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights for the storm. The Bible also tells us it was another 150 nights and days and nights on the ark. So roughly around 200 days trusting God, Noah resting in God. The water subsides. God goes, calls them to go out. And I like the last part of this verse. It says, and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Here's the last point of today's message. Number one. He responds to the rebellious. We've seen that. Number two, he rescues the righteous. Number three, he reminds us to replenish. God didn't leave it in a state of destruction. He called them to go now and replenish the earth. Well, what does that have to do with us nowadays? Read this verse and see if we can make the connection. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And therefore, and uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. He called them now with this family that trusts God. I want you guys to follow me here. Go and reproduce. He calls us, this family that trusts God, not to be stagnant, but for us to go and reproduce. But not reproduce only physically, but here it's referring to spiritually, that we need to go out and share the gospel. And this world needs hope. And this world needs somebody to go tell them simply that Jesus loves them. And there's a plan of salvation, and there's hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to dig in your word, Lord, as we take this time of communion, Lord. I pray that we can reflect on these words, on your word, Lord, 
and know more of your nature, Lord. Know indeed that you do respond to the rebellious so we can trust you, Lord, to take care of all the evil and all the wrong, Lord. That you indeed rescue the righteous, Lord. And I thank you for giving us an opportunity to have righteousness through your son, Lord. And you remind us to replenish, Lord. So I just pray that we would be used by you, Lord, to go replenish this earth with believers, with your children. And as we take the cup, Lord, and as we take of the bread, remember the sacrifices that you made, just like that ark, through your son Jesus, to provide salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.